Stay tuned for another sports presentation on the worldwide leader of Marshall University Athletics coverage, the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network. It's time for Sports Buzz, WMUL's weekly sports talk show with a competitive twist. Four enter, but only one will leave as this week's champion of current sports topics. And now, here's this week's moderator. Good evening and welcome to Sports Buzz. We got an eager panel ready to go. We have a four-time champion in the room, Alex Jackson. He's going to look to make it five tonight. And we got three people ready to dethrone the king. So we're going to start with the man on mic three, because the four-time champion himself, Mr. Alex Jackson. Well, I'm Alex Jackson. It's good to be back for another Sports Buzz. I'm really excited about it. So you sound really excited. You're like, well, I've ran we've through the done, competition. We've done the prep work. We're here, and um, we're trying to get another win tonight. My man said, four-time <laughs> champion. I'm really excited to run through the competition once again this week. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jaden Taylor. Good to see you, but introduce yourself. All right. All right, I'm Tyler Kennett. I remember when I was the one with the leading amount of wins until we reset the board. So maybe I can do one this week. Who knows? Who knows? I'm I'm Ben Cower. I got zero wins so far this year. <laughs> That's about it. It's about but you're it. really a winner because you sound like Tim Hansen. <laughs> I, I got one plus, one thing going for me. All righty. Ben, we might try to get you a win tonight, but we'll see how this goes. Oh, man, we're fixing it. Okay. No, we're not fixing it at all. <laughs> you know Zimmer like, has his favorites. All righty, Joe. Let's get right into it. Sunday night reports came out of Miami and Denver that both Brian Flores and Vic Fangio are on the hot seat. Do both men stay the remainder of the season, or is it time to move on? We're going to start off with the Vikings fan, who is Jaden Taylor. All righty. So do we? The question is, do we think that either of them are on the hot seat, or do we think that they stay, uh, or, or or are they going to be out of, or they going to be out of a job next? Now is this like out of a job? Be like they're going to be out before before, before we, the before the end of the season? Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, I don't believe that. Honestly, I don't believe either of them will be out before the end of the season. Uh, Brian Flores, he's had a pretty tough situation um, thus far to start the season, um, dealing with injuries to Tua. And just honestly, injuries all around on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I know Will Fuller has missed some games, and he's supposed to be their number one, number two guy uh, down in Miami. And then Denver, uh, I feel like they're just meeting expectations of their season thus far. They weren't really supposed to come out and be world beaters. Of course, you never want to lose games in the NFL, but at the same time, uh, you've got to make progressions, and most teams don't go from a lottery team to Super Bowl contenders in one year, unless you're like the Bucks and you get Tom Brady and ten other people. So I feel like they're both just on pace. Some, I mean, they're the Dolphins probably would expect to be a little bit better after last season, but they've dealt with injuries. So I don't think either of them will be fired before the end of the season if they continue on the track that they are on now. I would like to see uh, both of these guys get the boot, just because. When it comes to the Dolphins, it, it, I don't. I know it's only his second season in the NFL, but I just feel like B- Brian Flores is just wasting to a tug of Iloa. Just in general, I just feel like the Dolphins are wasting his talent. Uh, they're putting him in games 
and he's getting hurt when he really I don't know if he should be out there like last year it was a thing where they were playing him a lot as a rookie while other teams were either setting their quarterbacks that they drafted all together in such a loaded class or they were playing them watching them get hurt the Bengals did it and then they fixed the problem for the most part the line is still terrible but they got him a receiver to get the ball to throw downfield before he gets hit the Dolphins are just doing nothing. There were reports that they were chasing Deshaun Watson, which even if they're not true, they came out. So it's like you have to backtrack yourself out of something after you get heat like they did in the press. I've heard, I've seen reports that he's lost the locker room, that he's just like, they've lost a bunch of games. And injuries are not, they're losing so much. And that he's been like non-approachable when it comes to the front office. So I just don't think that he's going to stay. Uh when it comes to Fangio and the Broncos, I think the Broncos are just like they're mid. They're so mid that like <laughs> there's not really any expectations for the Denver Broncos to where it's like you've got to at least give them a year or two to see what he can do. But the Dolphins, not that they were in like this win now playoff mode, but like it's such a low level division that they're in right now that you kind of expected them to do something at this point. Yeah, I think both guys probably should be fired at the end of the year. And I think a big distinction for Brian Flores is this is actually his third season and. Uh, some of the other things. Oh, with two, I thought he said two seasons coaching in the NFL. Uh, I was also going to ask: Is it that they should or that they will? Because I was under the assumption that it was. That yeah, it's will. Will will, okay. will it be fire? But will. well, I think some of the points that Tyler hit on the reports that Brian Flores has started to lose the locker room. I think that when you lose the locker room, it's really hard to come back from that because keeping your job in the NFL is about getting wins. Like, you get a little grace period the first year or two that you're in it, but then eventually there are expectations for you to get wins. And when you lose the locker room, guys don't want to play for you, you're not going to get wins. Vic Vangio, they they bring him in as a defensive mind. He came in from Chicago. We've seen their defense just completely deteriorate. They played against a uh, Browns team last week with their backup quarterback, their like th- not even their second string running string back and third string running back. They got 182 rushing yards. They were missing two offensive tackles, and they get beat by the Browns. So the Denver Broncos started off three and zero against some really bad competition. Their defense is all of a sudden not a thing anymore. They've had eight quarterbacks since Peyton Manning left. I know that you know he took the job in 2019. Um, excuse me, they've had eight quarterbacks since he's been there. So they can't get the quarterback position right. They're just shuffling through players. His record's 15-24. and 24. That's not good. So he's not shown any progress. And at this point, you're, you're just seeing it continue to go downhill for them. So I think that both of these guys probably should be fired after the season for differing reasons. I think Brian Flores, it's more of how he's lost the locker room for Vangio. It's about uh, he's just not produced enough. Vangio well, Fan- will. Fangio will. He already knows he's going to get fired because he's doing the admiral thing where uh, it's like a captain going down with his ship where he's just so potently behind his guys where he doesn't ever criticize them. Uh, And, I mean, there's a lot of factors that have gone into it. Uh, I mean, the team is very banged up this year. Uh, I mean, I believe uh, Bradley Chubb's injured. Uh, uh, Vaughn Vaughn's dealt with some injuries as well. Yeah, and, I mean... Their defense isn't depleted. I mean, they just got Sertan, who's been pretty good. Uh, but I mean, their defense is it's okay. Should it's have been, been good enough to beat the Browns, though. Eh, fair, fair point. Uh, the Browns have Baker? No, they were on their backup quarterback. They're yeah. missing two tackles. Third I could. I didn't remember if that was the week that they played them. Yeah, it yeah. was last week. They I, had, I do yeah. think that Johnson was, you know, that he'll be good again. So I, I, 
I, I don't blame them for losing the running game because the Browns' running game is ridiculous no matter who gets put on the field. So I don't think that they should have lost that game still, but at the same time, it's kind of like both teams are working with this like backup running back quarterback situation. Like The Broncos are playing Teddy Bridgewater, so it's like – but yeah, I mean that that contributes as to why the Broncos or or why Fangio is going to get fired is it was mentioned earlier that they've gone through so many QBs. Uh, probably the biggest flop that's happened during Fangio's tenure is they drafted Drew Locke, and then Drew Locke ended up being a bust because he's not very accurate. He throws a lot of picks. He's got a good arm, but I mean he makes a lot of mistakes, and he's not the guy. Uh, Teddy, I mean he's. Yeah, not, bridge not, is literally in his last name. He's a bridge QB, that, yeah. um, and you know, Fangio is does not been able to build a roster that's going to go compete for the playoffs there. And I think the writing's on the wall there. Whereas with Flores in Miami, what happened from last year to this year really isn't his fault because what Greer did, who's the the GM there, he let off so many free agents uh so many key free agents and leaders on the team one of them in question uh kyle van noy from the who they acquired from the patriots they paid big money uh to get him from the pay uh from the pats and then they caught him after what was it a year or two and he was a leader on the defense there major you know factor there as to why their defense was so good last year and now he's gone uh really the only person that uh on the defensive side is uh they have Xavier howard back who they you know, been in negotiations with for forever, but considering they're going after Deshaun Watson, who that's a whole other story. Uh, if he even plays again, which I don't know. Uh, yeah, uh, but I don't think Flores is going to get fired because he's actively working with the administ- uh, with the the front office, and because they're going to work through this. When he started there, they were at the bottom. Uh, they went up. Two was not the answer. At least it seems for him and his system, so they're going to try out something else. But if they go out, they get Watson, that fails, and then the defense and the offense don't get any better. I could see why he would get fired. But all I'm going to say is, I don't know if he, I don't know if he gets fired this season. But Belichick coaching tree doesn't have a very, very success, not a very successful uh, track record here in the NFL at head coaching. So maybe in the future writings on the wall for him but they should they shouldn't be one and five they shouldn't have lost to the jags so it's been a bad year for them i i wouldn't blame the dolphins if they decided to let him go all right good topic there we're going to the nba now and this was a story that developed monday as we all know ben simmons his little saga in philadelphia has been going on for all off season philadelphia 76 is going to try a new approach no more finding him if he misses practices or games so will this solve the problem? We're going to start off with the Sixers fan in the room, Tyler Kennett. No. He doesn't want to play. Get rid of him. The It's not Ben Simmons' fault that he's returning a terrible trade value at this point. I just do not believe it anymore. Like, one bad pass in the playoffs should not have been the thing that just tanked his value. The thing that tanked his value was right after that game, everybody used Ben Simmons as a scapegoat and just threw all the shade at him. Who's going to want this dude if his own team doesn't believe in him? And at this point, you know, it's like Ben Simmons has said, like, from his camp that it's mental health at this point, that it's just like, and I mean, who wouldn't, is, is what I feel like. is like, who wouldn't be banged up mentally if the only thing that you hear for months on end is this thing of, like, 
you suck. You can't shoot. You don't deserve to play basketball. And you don't work. You don't do anything. You don't have any drive. I mean, the dude's 24 and he's like a multi-time all-star. And he's arguably the defensive player of the year if Rudy Gobert just doesn't get all the media votes because nobody cares about defense in the NBA. It's one of those things to where it's like every single year it's the same thing. Everybody just rags on the dude. And, I mean, I'm probably the number one Ben Simmons fan like in the region, I guess. Like I'm the dude who cares about him the most, probably like one of the most like loyal Ben Simmons fans. And it's like I know for a fact that like I'm still going to watch him no matter where he goes. And I have lost a lot of like love for the Sixers and the organization as a whole because they've done themselves no favors, but they've also done Ben Simmons no favors. I think it's just too late. I don't think any NBA player actually cares about money at this point. Because it's like there's been so many players that have just held out. And it's not like Ben Simmons is the first dude to do this. I can go back literally three or four years. Like You want me to give you examples. Anthony Davis did it. James Harden did it. James Harden did it probably in a worse way than Ben Simmons did because James Harden just started going out there and just playing garbage minutes. Anthony Davis literally sat and did nothing. Kawhi Leonard literally sat and did nothing. All three of those players are revered as these really high-level talents. But two or three years ago, they were hated because of what they were doing to try to get out of a bad situation. Ben Simmons wants out. Get rid of him. It's your fault that you can't get anything good. Daryl Morey is just stupid, and that's all I have for this topic. I'm tired of talking about Ben Simmons. It's not his fault that he is not getting return value. Defensive player of the year should be pulling something. First team all defense and a 24-year-old all-star. I'd like to compare it to to bringing hockey into the situation. It reminds me a lot of the Jack Eichel situation in Buffalo, where Jack Eichel is with an organization that he, he does not want to be there, and right now he's being kind of held hostage where i mean the organization they would like to have him as an active player but he doesn't want to be there you know he doesn't want to be there because the organization ultimately does not care about his best interests uh for those who don't know jack eichel has a neck injury right which is a little different than than simmons but uh they're you know they're both downtrodden players and they're you know hurt and the sabers are not letting jack eichel get his neck surgery in turn, they're keeping him there so he can't leave. Uh, and he's kind of there against his wishes in the same way that Simmons is at the uh, in Philly against his wishes right now. He doesn't want to be there. You know, he, he doesn't want to be there. He wants to play anywhere else, uh, somewhere that actually cares about him and has fans that are not going to tear into him at every moment. Uh, he has no motivation to, to be there. So uh, I agree with Tyler. They, sh- they should trade him. Uh, but right now, they, they have the whole league weary on him because they've you know, perpetuated the image that, uh, or a facade of an image that, oh, he's lazy. He doesn't. He doesn't want to go play basketball. He should, he, you know, he's just a crybaby and he doesn't want to go play basketball. That's nah, that's wrong. You know, he just wants to go play somewhere that's actually going to care about him. And uh, other than that, he has no motivation to go back to the Sixers. So they should trade him. Uh, I hope he gets traded to somewhere that actually cares about him. But uh, as of right now, I don't really see that there's an end to the situation. I hope hope it has a good ending, but. Uh, I don't know. Simmons should get traded. I mean, yeah, I agree he should be traded, but I think, Tyler, you're probably in the minority of Sixers fans who are on the Ben Simmons side here because I think a lot of people look at it as, oh, well, he's not really worked hard to develop his jump shooting, and that's ultimately when you compared him to Kawhi Leonard or Anthony Davis. The, the difference between Ben Simmons and some of these other guys that you mentioned was Ben Simmons has a fatal flaw in his game that has caused him problems. And whether it's a mental thing or not at this point, I'm not talking about the mental health aspect. I'm talking about with the shooting specifically, that is what caused problems. But I think that both sides have handled this very poorly. I think the Sixers, if you're going to try and trade someone, 
you should try and make it like, okay, we're, we're really happy and not let it be so known that you're so frustrated with Ben Simmons that you don't want him to play with you anymore and all this. So I'm, I'm not on the Sixers' side either. I think that it's, it's tough because you look at Ben Simmons and I think he's – when he's at his best, he's a really good player. But it's tough when you have the track record of things that have happened on, in the – uh, at least from the perspective of other teams with his career, with the jump shooting struggles, with the playoff struggles, that kind of thing. So I think it's a tough situation for both teams or for both parties here if you're looking at the 76ers and Ben Simmons. But ultimately, yes, they should trade him. Uh, where that will be, I guess we'll find out. Um, <clears throat> remind me of the question, Zimmer. Well, the question was Monday. There was a report coming out of Philadelphia being like the, the Sixers are no longer going to find Ben Simmons for for missing practice for missing games the question is is that really going to solve the problem considering uh, just yeah, all the yeah, problems that going to solve the problem uh no i don't think it's going to solve the problem there's it's way too big i think at that point um i think they stopped finding them to just decrease the intensity probably um between the two parties but Put i believe water on the flames yeah but i mean it's like a cup of water on a big fire <laughs> so um no i don't think it's going to solve it at all um, I think Philadelphia is mostly responsible for um, just this whole situation. Not that that excuses any any poor play uh, from Ben Simmons, but at the same time, if your plan is at some point in the future to trade him, then you should probably be doing your absolute best to, mm-hmm. even in the playoffs when people were uh, downing on him, you should be having your coach, your, coach, your organization, um, as many people as you can uh, to be supporting him, uh, not only just to be a good person, but also to uh, not dig down his value so much to where now you're kicking yourself because no NBA team is like giving you the off or giving you the value that you once had. I mean, this is the same person that was getting uh, was in the James Harden rumored deals last season so at one point he had that value and they've tanked it so hard and I don't know you know I don't personally know of any uh, specific offers that have been to them but I imagine since they haven't traded him yet that it hasn't been to that level I presume I mean it was like Buddy Hield and Tyrese Halliburton was considered a over stretch for the Kings or something like that yeah so they've completely tanked his value and uh, it's really this it's, it's honestly the 76ers fault because you know, they really should have handled it better all around, to be honest. It's, uh, yeah, it's just sad to see. I mean, they've, they've watered down their own product, essentially. Yeah, right? and then they're like, here, take our bad product. Like, well, that doesn't well, I mean, make any sense. They overreacted because of s- some bad plays, one flaw as a player, and then the entire city of Philadelphia and the organization overreacted. And instead of, you know, saying, hey, you know, yeah, you know, he might have some trouble with his shooting uh you should work on it we're going to support him but at the same time if he wants to go play elsewhere we're accepting deals you know he but he's still a top player that's all they had to do is just say hey you know he's still a great player he's, we're behind you know, him but he's still an all-star a deep weight candidate blah 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 blah, blah. like yeah, a like, million reasons why you should trade for him they overreacted i mean well ben simmons they overreacted i wonder how much of it is war words both parties at work here because initially that was what the conversation was with philly when they lost uh, to Atlanta, Docker was like, oh, well, he's going to be here, we're going to play, whatever. And then it just, 
you know, Ben Simmons appeared to be very frustrated with the situation. He comes in, doesn't want to practice. Doc Rivers didn't say it. The, the, the game after they lost, like literally in the post-game, or post-game press conference, they asked Doc Rivers if he thinks Ben Simmons can be a point guard on a championship team, and he said he didn't know. Yeah, I was gonna say it's def. I was gonna mention before I spoke. It's definitely Doc, uh, partially Doc Rivers' fault. But then as he well. finished that by saying he's still our guy. We still believe in him. Yeah, that's, how he finished that's that's just very passive aggressive. Where you're, I you're throwing like shade. Yeah, no, it's an underlying yeah. shot. Yeah. just say yes. You're throwing a punch. But the I, I think or say I believe so, or literally anything besides. The, the Sixers have just not done anything for him because I know that he he doesn't shoot, but like he never did shoot when he was in college. When he was in high school, he didn't shoot. It was like he was always this dude finishing at the rim. And the only time that the Sixers have ever built a team around him that was designed to let him feed was when traded the farm for Jimmy Butler and uh, signed J.J. Redick, two predominantly off-ball shooter type players at the time. And the Sixers were a couple of bounces away from the finals, arguably winning the championship against a Warriors team that couldn't have even placed five players on the court that year. So it's like, but then immediately after they win so deep into the playoffs, they flip the roster. And then... The roster looks okay. Al Horford sucks because it's like every time that the Sixers have picked someone in to, to build around Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, it's been another center. Andre Drummond now, <laughs> yeah. Al Horford the year before. And then, you know, just like none of the draft picks. I mean, they drafted Zaire Smith, another slashing point guard. They draft Tyrese Maxey, another point guard who's known to be ball dominant. Ben Simmons has and, to have the ball in his hands. Maxey's not known as a uh, shooter. Not that he can't shoot, I mean, shoot, Matisse Dibble is very good. But he's also a defensive-minded guard that is similar to Ben Simmons that doesn't shoot. Yeah, and the problem, I think, is not just three-point shooting. It's shooting in general. In Game 5 against the Hawks, he took four shots and had 27% – excuse me, 32% in the the playoffs from free-throw shooting. So it's – I think it builds on from, okay, he's not shooting to it affects every part of his game. And I think that other teams are looking at that. Granted, this whole dealing with the situation hasn't helped in saying, well, there's a fatal flaw here with his game, and it's starting to affect other parts of his game as well. All right, we're going to get to baseball real quickly here as we're about a little less than 10 minutes out from the start of Game 2 of the World Series. We'll do thoughts on Game 1 afterwards. We'll, we'll get a quick pick for the World Series tonight and, and the, just pick for the series, and we're going to start this one off with uh, Ben Cower. Uh, well... First and foremost, they're playing in Houston tonight. Houston uh, losing game one. Uh, I mean, Atlanta's a strong team, uh, but I mean, we were we were ju- we were talking about this earlier. Uh, but uh, Max Freed, a left-hander, and the majority of Houston's batters tonight righties. So uh, Max Freed is a very good pitcher, uh, but you know, you're, you're Houston looking to rebound after game one. Uh, and they have a very favorable pitching matchup where, you know, righties are going to hit better against the, or excuse me, uh, yeah, righties are going to hit better against the lefty. Uh, they need to make some stuff happen tonight. Uh, they have some motivation too, and they're, again, they're once again in Houston, uh, and they need to win this game because if you lose two straight games at home and then they send it to Atlanta for the next two games, they could lose the series right there. That could be four straight, be a sweep by the Braves, so... I think Houston has a lot on the line tonight, uh, and they certainly have the staff to do it, uh, to, to take home the victory. But it's really, in my mind, almost a must-win for Houston. you gotta, you got to get that win at home right at the beginning of the series or else it's going to get out of hand. It's going to get out of hand immediately. Uh, again, favorable matchup against a you know, good pitcher, but uh, you can shell the guy. Everybody's his worst nightmare tonight. 
and I don't know. I just I think Houston takes it tonight because they have to. They got to win. So I think that Atlanta will take the game again, and the reason is is because um, if you watch the game last and yesterday's game, Charlie Morton he fractured his right fibula like well third inning. Well, I think he fractured it before, but he kept playing, and then he like hurt it more in the third inning. And then, of course, so they bring in A.J. Minter, who is a relief pitcher uh, who's usually only used to going one to two innings, but ends up having to go, I believe, maybe three innings, I think. Um, Not certain. I know know it was more than one or two. But anyways, A.J. Minter, he's a left-handed pitcher as well. Um, Not exactly the greatest pitcher in the world, but he was able to get the job done. Um, Jaden, I'm looking at my scorebook right now from last night. He went two. He went two and two thirds. Two and two thirds. Okay, so almost three innings. Um, and did a solid job as well. Uh, Will Smith came in, closed the game out as well. He's another left-handed pitcher um, who's also not a world beater, but still got the job done. They were only able to give up uh, two runs uh, yesterday. Did really good a job at pitching, but um, and then Max Fried coming to start in tomorrow. In my opinion, he's the best pitcher that the Braves have outside of uh, my. Uh, Mike Soroka, but obviously he's been out the whole season, so know him. But he's definitely their best pitcher by far. Um, you know, posting an ERA of three point zero four on the season. I think he has like a fourteen and seven win to loss record as well. Um, but I don't think it's just about the pitching matchup either, Justin. I think it's about the Atlanta bats and the Atlanta bats. All playoffs have been extremely hot. In particular, um, Rosario. He is Rosario. As at batting 465, um, 20 hits in the playoffs, and just at 43 at bats as well. Freddie Freeman doing what Freddie Freeman does, coming up uh, clutch when you need him to. He's uh, averaging 297. Albies playing well, and then really what's been huge as well is uh, well honestly who's been big is Ozzy Albies and Jock Peterson. I believe in the playoffs as well. Both of them coming up playing big time, coming up with big hits. Uh, Austin Riley, another player that's played really well. Um, you know, I can go through the whole roster because it's my favorite team. But they, uh, I think that the Atlanta Bats are just a little too strong uh, for Houston's pitching, and I believe that Atlanta will get the job done on the mound as well. Well, I think it was a really complete team performance last night that you saw, and I think Albies in the field was just tremendous. How many saves uh, in the first inning, bases loaded, ends up getting in and out, and that could have changed the game potentially. The momentum goes to the Braves there. And then he just runs so hard when he hits it. And there were so many times when you were looking and running to first, and it's like, he's not going to get it, he's not going to get it. He gets it. Why? Effort. I think for the Astros, you have to look at uh, Jose Altuve and say he's got to play better. You know, he had the big home run against um, the Red Sox, but, you know, didn't have it. He struck out three times last night, really struggled. He has to pick it up. And, you know, I think – it really was a, a very solid game from all the relief pitchers for the Braves last night, too. I was really impressed by, you know, most of them coming in and, and playing fairly well, especially considering um, not every, not nobody was really expecting Morton to be out for the rest of the series. But I, I think this is a pretty close series. If you look at the two teams, I think that Houston will win tonight. I think it'll just be one of those series where we kind of trade games, and I think it's probably a series that's going to go seven. Yeah, uh, I was really pleased with uh, the Braves' bullpen just in general last night because Houston was that team, like all playoffs, that put up 10 runs this game. Then the next game they're putting up nine. And it's like teams would have to put up like a similar amount of runs to win against Houston this like offseason or this postseason, I mean. So it's like 
for me uh, to see that, like, you know, you mentioned the relief pitchers. There are three pitchers, uh, not counting Morton, who also had three strikeouts. So there are multiple pitchers who come in, pitch one or two innings, and have three strikeouts. Like, that's good pitching. I mean, it's just good. Uh, with that in mind, though, I do think that Houston takes it tonight because I just, I mean, you mentioned Altuve. If Altuve's on, everybody's on when it comes to the Astros. It seems like if he's if he's hitting the ball well, everybody's hitting the ball well. And I just can't see him uh, falling down like he did last night again. I just think that the Astros take it today. But uh, I'm with Alex. I, I think it's a back-and-forth series. I, I want the Braves to win, so I'm going to say that they will win. I have no real reasons other than that I think that you know pitching down the stretch uh, could be a little bit better for the Braves than the Astros. This feels like an anomaly almost like again as you mentioned Atlanta has or excuse me Houston has been on point on batting you know all postseason long and then game one they go silent this seems like an anomaly yeah I just don't think that it's going to happen two nights in a row it might happen every other night but I mean if if it happens two nights in a row then then Atlanta is going to take the series I just I just don't see Max Fried being the one if like that's my issue I think I I think that's my issue with um not or with taking Houston over Atlanta is that Max Fried's going up to pitch. If it was Drew Simley or Ian Anderson or someone else, I'd, I would probably be like, yeah, they'll probably bounce back. But with Max Fried, I just think that he sh- will be able to get the job done. And I don't even think it's necessarily that he has to hold them to one run or no runs or two runs. I think it's the fact that Atlanta's bats have been so hot during the postseason that it puts pressure on the opposing team to take to swing at pitches that they would maybe be more conservative about because they're worried about trying to get on the board, get the ball in play. Um, and so you become a little uh, – you grow a little tired of watching the ball get past. You want to hit the thing. You want to run the bases. You want to get home. So I think that uh, with the bats of Atlanta being so hot, uh, that pushes the score up, which then can allow Max Fried a little bit more wiggle room to throw things outside the box and – uh, make Houston start swinging more. I think that's what happened last night. All right, great discussion there. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back, and it'll be time, as Ben Cowher says, for the judge, jury, and executioner to make the first decision tonight. But first, you're listening to Sports Buzz on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network. No. Bazookas to the back of the net. And he ties the game for the herd. Call him Bazooka, because that was a rocket by Bazookas. She's going to lift this one high and deep, way back into left field. That was by the light pole. Look up and say goodbye. Allie Harrell with her 10th career home run. She has now tied the Marshall freshman record for most home runs to start a career. 25 now over to Williams from three and he knocks it down. Jansen Williams puts the herd on top. 70 to 69, 19 seconds left in the contest. The worldwide leader in Marshall University sports coverage, the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network. 
Marshall's sports journalism graduates learn transferable skills that score competitive careers. It's time for you to get in the game. Critical thinking, communication, and commitment to accuracy are desired skills in an expanding job market. Sports journalism and sports communication careers are some of the most coveted positions in the country. The Marshall University School of Journalism and Mass Communications is ready and eager to help you start your journey. Learn more at marshall.edu slash SOJMC. Does showing up for work at a ballpark or an arena sound good to you? A Marshall University sports journalism degree can get you there. Sports journalism in Marshall is important. It's serious and it's big business. Sports media and communications careers are some of the most competitive and marketable worldwide in a multi-billion dollar industry. We'll prepare you to think critically, report accurately, and artfully tell the stories on and off the field or court. If this sounds like you, the Marshall School of Journalism is ready and eager to start your journey. Learn more at marshall.edu SOJMC. This is the story of Daniel, who was born two months early. His lungs weren't ready. His heart wasn't ready. His parents could only hope that one day he would leave the hospital healthy, and they would all live happily ever after. Daniel's is just one of the more than 500,000 stories of babies born prematurely last year. You can help the March of Dimes stop premature birth and bring more babies home healthy. Learn how at marchofdimes.com. Working together for stronger, healthier babies. Welcome back to Sports Buzz on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network. It is that time for elimination. Jaden Taylor is getting ready for his Braves to take on the Houston Astros in Game 2 of the Fall Classic. But first, we got to do some legal business. We're going to pause 10 seconds for station identification. You're listening to Sports Buzz on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network. Your home for award-winning coverage of Marshall Athletics is right here on WMUL-FM Huntington, WFGH-FM Fort Gay, and WTHM-LP Ravenswood, West Virginia. All righty. Good arguments tonight, but I have to send someone home. And this person had a good argument, but I want to be nice since this team's in the World Series tonight. I want to give him the chance to let him watch his Braves maybe win a ball game. I'm being nice, Janet. Come on. I'm being nice. I, I I can leave you on, but you're a Braves fan. And, I mean, I know from the Nationals, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to have a team in the World Series, especially since first time since the 99. So, Janet, I'm going to be nice, and I'm going to let you off so you can watch your Braves. I appreciate it, Justin Zimmer. I'm going to go watch them. Uh, yeah, go Braves. And you can't see me, but I'm chopping right now. So. Okay. Bye. Forever. Good I hope Braves. they win so my cards can have value, dude. I have an Acuna rookie. <laughs> He's out, but that's money. Hey, <laughs> hey, tonight, when uh, every time the Braves go yard, I'm going to shout expletives at you. Dude. <laughs> Thank All you. right, you can, you can film it and send it to me. Oh, I will. <laughs> Don't worry about that. <laughs> All right. Uh, um, we'll look forward to that tonight. And uh, by the way, the Nats are in the same division as the Braves, so, you know, go Nats. All right, let's let's uh, let's get things moving here. Uh, we're half. We're gonna do a little judge the power, power rankers. The N, the N, ESPN released their first NBA power rankings, and so initial thoughts on the M, the first week of the NBA season. Any team surprising? Any team not surprising? We're gonna start off with the Tyler Kennedy. He seems eager, so let's go. 
Yeah, uh, I, I love M- I love the NBA. My favorite time of year is the NBA season. My favorite time, really, of the year is when the NBA season begins because everyone overreacts about teams uh, winning a couple games in a row in an 82-game season. So with that in mind, uh, the Bulls <laughs> have won four straight, and uh, it's a team that I was really excited uh, to watch Lonzo Ball play with Zach Levine. I think that anyone who wasn't excited about that was stupid, but uh, – Kobe White. I mean, that team is just so much fun, and I'm I'm glad they're doing well. I don't think that it's going to last. Uh, I just don't because the star power is there, but it's not. It's young. It's too young uh, for me to have faith. So I I don't think that the Bulls are going to last at this top spot for long because the Bulls are one of those teams that everybody's like, wow, they're uh, you know the Bulls and you know Lonzo Ball and uh, uh, Lamelo Ball are at the top of the list of you know, players right now. And it's like, I don't know. I like that the, the Hornets are playing well, too. Uh, I'm really, really excited for LaMelo Ball and the Hornets. I guess the team that has shocked me uh, the most so far has probably been, uh, I guess I would say, the Lakers, 2-2. Two and two. I mean, there's only been like four games in. And I, I didn't ex- – I mean, I just expected this team to be a very high-power regular season team because it's a lot of players that have played really well. Uh, I don't think that it surprised me that, you know, like there's already some troubles in L.A. and whatnot. I'm just really excited to watch the young talent this year because, you know, as we mentioned a few minutes ago, like my team is kind of in the mix of not really playing anybody that I like right now. And Markel Fultz is still hurt. So my favorite players are out, so I'm just enjoying watching the young players grow. I would uh, disagree about being surprised with the Lakers. Look, I mean, they. to be honest, this is a very different roster than what they had last season. It takes time to get people going in regular season. They bring in another superstar in Russell Westbrook, and it's going to take time for them to get things going. And they played a couple of really good teams in the Warriors and the Suns at the beginning of the season. I mean, the Suns were in the finals last year. I think the Warriors uh, will be even better once Klay Thompson comes back, but they're obviously always a very formidable opponent. So... I think this is an adjustment thing. I mean, LeBron's been dealing with injuries. He um, was out last night, and he'll be out tonight as well. Anthony Davis had an injury scare. So the biggest thing for the Lakers will be health and figuring out rotations because it's very obvious that Russell Westbrook cannot play at the same time that you have a traditional center like Dwight Howard in the game because he just clogs the lane up. And that and that's the big thing is you have a lot of people who love to be in the paint, takes LeBron out of the paint, and he has to start taking mid-range jumpers, three-point jumpers. LeBron's at his best when he's at the rim or able to distribute to shooters. And if you have a bunch of big men out there and Russell Westbrook, you're not, you don't have either of those. You can't get to the rim and you can't kick it out to shooters because who's going to shoot it? But I think it's important to remember the reason why they got Russell Westbrook. And it's for nights like tonight and nights like last night when LeBron or Anthony Davis or whoever gets hurt, Russell Westbrook can win you regular season games. Last night, 33 points. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that can, can get you there, and ultimately I think what the Lakers are going to do is they're going to manage players like Anthony Davis and LeBron James because Anthony Davis has never been an 82-game-a-year guy. And at this point in his career, LeBron James can't be that, whether it's injuries or just he needs to rest. He's not going to be able to play back-to-backs at this point in his career, so it's smart for them to manage it. And Russell Westbrook is a really good regular season player, and if they can figure out rotations, I think he could be good for them in the playoffs as well. If we're talking about surprises... I would say I'm, you know, pleasantly surprised with how the Hornets have played. Uh, like Tyler said, I think Lamella Ball's ridiculously fun to watch. The Bulls, the the internet's favorite team. Everybody they have Alonzo, who's an internet favorite. Zach Levine, a lot of guys there. 
And, and the Knicks have been playing pretty well, too. I mean, they're 3-1. and one. But it's so early in the year, it's really mm-hmm. hard to tell who's going to be good or not right now. Uh, probably the biggest surprise for me is the Hornets. I, I like the Hornets. I mean, they've, they've been very impressive this year. Uh, and they just they kill you with speed. My goodness. I mean, they have... I love that team. I mean, it's such fast-break city. I it's, mean... Bridges and and ball. Oh my goodness! What a, what the a Hornets combo. are what Lob City wish that it was. <laughs> like it's so much fun. I mean, it's it's the it's a pleasant surprise as you know as described. I, you know, they look like a competent team. I mean, even though they lost in a in a high scoring battle with my favorite team, the Celtics. Uh, Charlotte three and one. They've looked really good this year. Uh, very surprising. Their offense is competent. I mean, Gordon Hayward looks pretty good. I mean, he's mm-hmm. been kind of off for ever since that injury uh, and looks good this season. I mean, Hayward's coming back. Uh, just strong coaching is another is another thing there where uh, the Hornets have, have real. I mean, uh, Borrego, Borrego, am I pronouncing that right? Is it Borrego? I think it is. Uh, but I mean, just strong coaching there. They've come in. They've come in motivated this year. Uh, Hornets have life for the first time in a little yeah. while, and they have you know actual momentum. Uh, you know, Miles Bridges, Player of the Week, uh, Lamelo Ball was Rookie of the Year last year. I mean, it's just really impressive, uh, and they're able to put up a lot of points. And in the NBA, to have a lot of success, you got to be able to put up a lot of points, no matter how good or bad of a defense you have. Uh, and you know, they beat the Nets at their own strategy, where they beat the Nets straight up, 111 to 95. Uh, on Sunday, so Hornets very pleasant surprise this year. Uh, interesting to see where they go. Uh, they're playing really well right now. I will say quickly that uh, the Hornets were like a borderline playoff team last year. So it's like I think that I was expecting them to jump up to be that team this year. But Melo uh, was hurt last year. Yeah, for and for them to still make. It. I mean, Miles Bridges is looking like. I mean, if he keeps playing the way he is, he'll somehow win, like, MVP or something crazy. You know, he's, like, this ridiculously talented. He's a human highlight reel. And, and I say, and I know that's, like, a very cliche saying, but, like, Miles Bridges, you see him on highlights every day. So I am excited, really, just to watch the Hornets. And the Knicks are good, too. And, I mean, the Rosen's back in form with the Bulls. So three teams that were, like, bottom of the barrel, like, three years ago are now up on top. And I think that if you don't like that, and then – wait for the playoffs because it's going to be even better. I think it's just going to be a whole bunch of fresh faces this year. Pleasant oh, – no. I was just going to say a pleasant surprise on the Bulls. Caruso. Yeah, he's oh been good. goodness, Caruso. Caruso and Lonzo is what should have been in L.A. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. it's so much fun. Well, Car- just, Caruso fits right in there, and everybody loves him, and he says it looks like he's having a great time. They picked, uh, like, the the most, like, flashy passer that's not LaMelo in the league. And paired him with like three guys who are like some of the best in game dunkers of NBA, like recent NBA history. DeRozan is insane. Even like late in age, Caruso is literally known just for dunking on people. And then, you know, Zach Levine, what isn't he when it comes to dunking the ball? So it's like, you know, they're, they're just so much fun to watch. Even if they like, they could literally lose the rest of the season right now and I'll still watch like almost every game just because I just want to see the highlights when they happen instead of later on. All right. Interesting topic here, but really good. I'm really going to go off script here. We weren't supposed to talk about college football tonight, but I saw a little article on, on, on the tweet box from Grant Trailer of the Herald Dispatch. Apparently, according to him and his sources, the Marshall move to the Sun Belt is imminent. So that will be in the next couple hours. So 
Ben, we're going to do a little Inside Conference USA Extended Edition here. And Alex oh Jackson, we, we've heard his opinion on it. I'm going to start with Tyler on this, and then we, we could really have a conversation about this. I might hop in on this as well. But, Tyler, uh, your initial... You're the host. Yeah, why not? You're the host. We're going to eliminate the host next. <laughs> That's a great... Actually, uh, we could do that. Okay, but Tyler, I want to get your thoughts on this. According to Grant Trailer of Herald Dispatch, it's imminent the move to Conference USA. Does it mention Set anything about the other teams? Yeah, that's what I would. Old Dominion's do. made the announcement today. Okay. Southern Miss that was done yesterday. Mm-hmm. James Madison, we've not heard anything from. We don't know what the heck's going on over in Harrisonburg, but okay, we can presume that move will be done in a, in a couple of days. But whoever wants to take this one, we'll start off from there. Just your initial thoughts on this move, since you know what, we are a sports show. But we're also Marshall University Radio. Yeah, of course. We should be talking about the news involving the university. Um. Okay. Well, I guess we can just talk about that. This is news to everyone. So uh, I, I want JMU to be bumped up to D1. So I think that that's what I want to see the most out of Sunbelt. Uh, JMU is a powerhouse in you know that low-level football. They, they win national championships like all the time. So it's, it's just one of those things that's what Marshall used to be. Marshall used to be that team that was just dominant in the like you know double a if you will so to bump them up to d1 would be amazing uh, i would love to watch that happen uh you know jmu also pretty certain they're decent at soccer there are a few like really good soccer schools involved in this uh that's the one thing that worries me right now though is you know conference usa soccer is so ridiculously strong that if there is like a full sweep of move to the Sun Belt, i'm curious to how that will realign soccer uh because Conference USA has tried so hard the past few years to be this like powerhouse of a of a conference in soccer, and it has done so so well. Almost every week, there's a ranked matchup in Conference USA soccer, uh, which is why I think that it's going to be interesting to see what Conference USA does at this point. Uh, I think that there will probably be some like weird uh, realignment that somehow keeps a lot of those teams intact for Conference USA because, like you know, the SEC. And a lot of those other places, they're not moving, but those teams are still looking for places to put their soccer program in terms of the conference. So I think that, you know, unless you're stupid, uh, WVU and, and, you know, Kentucky and other teams like that, Coastal is also in Conference USA now. So it's like they're planning, I would imagine, to jump in to wherever Marshall goes in soccer, presuming that it continues to be this, like, top three talent. I I guess we need to talk about football. So it's like Marshall is not – Marshall is no longer, like – I suppose, but it's like Marshall is only really the only selling point Marshall has right now is its soccer team in my mind for like the expansion of everywhere else. You get the team, you get the track, you get the ticket sales when it comes to football, but you don't have that national TV market. You know, it's still going to be like you know, like a Mac school essentially is your is your audience. So it's like for me, I look at this move for Marshall and I'm like, it's good because you're downgrading in your opponents. Uh, I would imagine because JMU coming up is a low level school that unless they show these big flashes of being like a, t- a crazy program similar to like Coastal where they come in and they just dominate as soon as they get into into D1 then uh, or as soon as this program begins I'm I'm really excited to see what happens in the Sun Belt but just to see Marshall like low down a little bit in football because like you know Southern Miss is not very spectacular and a lot of the higher level teams in Conference USA are moving elsewhere so it's like to watch Marshall stay in that lower level realm. It allows Marshall to succeed a little bit better, get some stuff going, but continue its dominance in other sports. I I disagree that it's a step down in football because I think when you look at the the Conference USA, there are 
you know, teams like UAB, UTSA, but really it's a horrible conference if you look at some of the football teams they have. You go to the Sun Belt, and there are teams that are legitimately ranked in the top 25 the last few seasons. Coastal Carolina, I know they lost, but they're a team that was ranked in the top 25. In the still ranked. Still ranked. 24th. Louisiana, they were preseason top 20. They're another team. Are they not projected to move? I thought they were going to move out. I don't believe so. No, La Tech, happened. we've Louisiana Tech, we've not heard anything. I'm from. not saying Louisiana Tech. I'm saying Louisiana, oh, the raging cage. We've not heard. No, they're projected to stay as of right now. Everything in the Sun Belt has been projected to stay. That's what I'm saying. So okay. if you look at their football conference, it's actually much better, and the matchups make more sense. FIU comes to Huntington this weekend. Mm-hmm. Who's talking about it besides us? Nobody. And our TV deal is not good. We're on Facebook. So, yeah. like you. The Sun Belt, you talked about TV deal. They have a deal with ESPN that runs through the 2020, 20, 30, and 31 season. So in football, I think it's an upgrade. I would disagree that they're stepping down in football. I think the competition overall with some of the teams they're adding, like I think JMU will be a really good FBS team when they step up. I think that that'll they'll make the conference better, especially in football. I'm worried about, like you said, soccer. I'm also worried about basketball because you look at basketball – the Conference USA team, the representative in the NCAA tournament last year, was a 13 seed. That's mostly where it lands. About the, the 13th seed is about where it goes. That's what Marshall was in 2018. The Sun Belt was in the play-in game last year. It was App State against Norfolk State. Yeah, Zimmer was the one who made that point. But it's true. You look at the Sun Belt, their, their teams are always around the 15 or 16 slot. Norfolk State in 2012 against Missouri, 15 seed. So you're looking at some of these teams, um, and you think to yourself, like, how is that going to affect in other sports? And like you said, Conference USA is the juggernaut in soccer. So it's not just a football move. I think for football it makes sense, but ultimately at the end of the day, football is what drives everything. Well, it's it's really interesting. I don't know. For football, I'd say it's, it's a lateral move at worst, where I – again, I agree where – Okay, I, I I agree that it's a lateral move at, at most, where the competition is better. I, I enjoy watching us play App State. I mean, just the yeah. last two years have been thrilling matchups. Uh, I wouldn't say Marshall would move to that conference and immediately be weak. I think it's fitting competition. I you know, And Coastal, App, App State has been ranked, as you said. Uh, Coastal has been ranked for two years in a row now. I, I will say that I, I was I didn't know that Coastal and Louisiana backed out. I thought that they were moving up to like Big 12 and whatnot. I had heard them negotiated in that in like rumors. But it's so to, to hear that now, I do think that it to me in my mind, it still it becomes an even worse move. I'll double down because Marshall was ranked in a season where literally they were one of the only teams playing football. And then they started losing to teams like Rice. They started losing to teams that just don't really have power. Marshall is not a team that can, in my opinion, compete with these higher-level schools. Like, it's good that you're getting that national recognition. They lost to App State by one and beat App State last year. I mean, year. Rice, Rice yeah, isn't like, a higher-level school in football, though. No, yeah, I'm Rice saying they were, like very... they were losing to low, low teams, and now they're moving to bigger teams like Coastal, like Louisiana, like App State. You haven't played Coastal. You haven't played you haven't played Louisiana. You play App State, and the reason you're beating App State is because, really, those are two kind of fluke games for App State because, like, App State has just been dominant since both seasons. Like, App State was a team that, like, App State got destroyed by Louisiana after they played Marshall, but whatever. But it's just another team that's, like, very high level against Marshall. 
do you think Marshall really has a chance to play against like three teams, four teams that are usually in the top 25 every year? Yes. Considering they were ranked in the top 25 college football playoff last year, I would say so. And considering they beat App State last year, I would say I mean, so. They considering they, they should have beat App State, State this on year. the rails. They weren't in the top 25 at right the end of the, near the end. Not at the end of the year, but when the college football rankings came out, they were. I'm yeah, looking but they were playing who were they playing against? App they, State. they were like the only the They were like the only team that was playing because COVID. I, I, everybody played last year at some point. Yeah, Every but Marshall was only played. ranked when teams like the Big Ten. That's not true. We were football. ranked in November. Yeah, but they lost. Started like they went on like a deep losing streak. Fired their coach and reset the season. Is that a good season? I mean, they reset and then now they're back. Uh, I don't know. Okay, I guess we're heading to break. I didn't even get to talk this <laughs> round. Everyone, and I'm well, uncom- well, I'm inside well, conference USA. I didn't well, get to talk. Well, you got to talk. I, I want to hear your I perspective. I said five words. Oh, I know. Okay, I'll, okay. Let's head to break. All right. All right. We'll head to I'm break. We'll, we'll head to break. Well, Ben has a temper tantrum. Uh, we'll. <laughs> All right. We'll be back with more. Right after the show, the sports buzz on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network. There's a horrifying abomination in the eyes of God. I get a lot of questions from my victims about my taste in music. Of course, the terrified wretches are actually just scrounging in vain to find some modicum of humanity beneath my hideous exterior so that they may talk me out of devouring them alive, but that's beside the point. My taste in music is about as wide as my gaping cavernous jaws. <laughs> oh, but my musical preferences aren't lined with hundreds of tiny, needle-thin, hooked teeth. I love jazz and alternative, blues and gospel, and everything in between. And I gotta say, the only station that meets my musical needs as a pus-oozing perversion and fashion miscreation of science is WMUL. They've got the best variety of music in the tri-state region, not to mention award-winning news and sports coverage. I can't say it any plainer. 88.1 WMUL is my favorite radio station. Now if you'll excuse me, I'm famished. Of course, I'm always famished because I only know endless feeding and good radio, but that's beside the point. Welcome back to Sports Buzz. We have we only we have about seven minutes left in the program, so we have a quick five-minute debate here to round, wrap up tonight. But unfortunately, Ben Cower, as the judge, jury, and executioner, I have to send you home. But well, thank you for coming on. If you have any final words, uh, go ahead, please. I knew I was in. I knew I was doomed after. I didn't get a point in the last round, so. No, actually, that was not your downfall. Oh, okay. It was, was something, something else. Okay. Well, no, well, no, it wasn't that. It wasn't that. You were very good tonight. Anyways, it's okay. It's always fun here on, on Sports Buzz. Alex Jackson going for that another consecutive win. Tyler Kennett, a very worthy opponent. I'm excited to hear some of the debate coming up. Don't miss a thing if you're tuning in. This is going to be good. Thank you for having me on. All righty, Ben. Thank you very much. All righty, gentlemen. We probably only have time for one topic here, so... We're going to go with the best one. I think that's going to ra- uh, r- uh, boost the ratings and, uh, and cause the most debate. So here we go. We're about halfway through the NFL season. Which team is the best team at the halfway point? And which team's the worst? And since the guy has... We're going to go with the guy who has the Jaguars hat on since 
You know, why not? They're, they've had a bad year, but you might you might have a good reason. Tyler Gay, go ahead. So you want the worst team and the best team? Yes. Okay. Yes, well, uh, I think the worst team is the Detroit Lions, not the Jags. Uh, not just because, you know, 0-6 record speaks, but because it's a team that is just so lost in its identity. It's a lot of question marks everywhere. Jared Goff is just not who he was that one season where he went to the Super Bowl. He is just not it for the Lions. The Lions just refuse to do anything. There's not really any talks of any moves. There's not really anything going on. Uh, the run game is not really going through DeAndre Swift like you figure it would if uh, your team is losing so much and it's one star player being DeAndre Swift. You argue Hawkinson. Uh, but to continue on that, I guess, you know, Hawkinson's not getting any targets. DeAndre Swift is not really touching the ball as much as I think that he should be. Uh, wide receivers are banged up. Tyrell Williams is still out. Amon Ross St. Brown is the best receiver for the Lions. So, I mean, it's like, you know, who who do you really have on the offensive side of the ball? Defense is still the bad defense. They just suck. Uh, the only time that the Lions have looked competitive was against the Rams, and the, the only way they were looking competitive is because they were doing things that they shouldn't be doing five, six games in the season, onside kicks throwing these weird trick plays, you know, doing stupid stuff, just desperately trying to beat Matt Stafford so they can reclaim the identity that it wasn't them ruining his career. So to flip that around, I won't go Cardinals this week. I'll actually go with the Rams, who I know lost to the Cardinals, and I know what you're thinking, but the Rams have just flipped the script. A team last year that no one really thought was a contender has become the team this year that defensively has been stacked for years and years and years, but now offensively looks amazing. Cooper Cup is legitimately looking like the best receiver in the league right now, and it's not close. It's not close anymore. Matt Stafford, he's not an MVP candidate, but he's still doing what he's always done. So it's fun for me to pick on the lines for trading Stafford away but it's also fun to see Stafford doing so well as a former Lions fan. So okay. that's what I'll say. Okay, so I disagree with you about the Rams because I don't I literally don't think it's possible to say that they're better than the Cardinals when the head to head matchup doesn't favor that. And I don't think that the Rams are bad at all. I think that it's just it's it's tight, but I think you gotta go to the Cardinals, they're undefeated, they beat the Rams, etc. Now I do think the Lions are really bad, but I actually think that the Texans might be worse. Because if you said the Lions weren't competitive, but I disagree with that because it took a game-winning field goal from the Ravens and the Vikings to beat them. They were competitive. They looked fairly competitive against the Rams. You know, they had a really strong effort in the second half against the 49ers. Meanwhile, the Texans, since they beat the Jaguars, who, I mean, it's the Jaguars, they've looked horrible. They got beat 40 to nothing. They, you know, came out and were competitive for a little while against Arizona, but had a score last week, 27 to 5. 31-3 against the Colts, close game against the Patriots, but 40 to nothing against the Bills. The Panthers blew them out. So, like, Davis Mills is their quarterback. I, I'm not saying that I think the Lions are good, but I think by the end of the season, if the Lions are able to pick up a win, I think we'll say the Texans are the worst team in football. I, I will say just quickly that I think that the quality of teams that the Texans has have played against is a little bit better. Than the Lions? I mean, in my opinion, I would say so. I mean, you look at it, the Bengals, the Vikings, the Bears, the Ravens. But then, you know, you, you mentioned the Bills, probably that, the most high-powered offense, you know, going against the you Texans. You think the Texans played a better group of competition than the Lions did? I they, be, they played the Jaguars, who are one of the worst teams in football. They played against the Panthers, who have they're, they're falling off Panthers now. at that time, though, were like a pretty high-level Yeah, but the Broncos started the year 3-0. 
Yeah, I mean, but when so you're playing like against you, bad teams, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, the Browns. The Lions. Solid before injuries. Patriots, Mac Jones looks pretty solid. I you would just say said the Rams everything. are the best team in football. The Lions played the Rams. The Bengals look like a good team. Yeah, but I also was saying that the Lions had to pull played out the all the stops to even try against the Rams. But you're, but that's irrelevant. You're talking about quality of competition. So that you look at, they played the Packers, who were probably you know top five team in football. Played the Vikings, who are a solid 500 team at this point. The Rams, you said, are the best team in football. The Ravens are you know a very solid team, and the Texans, it's. They, they Texans play. are play, just played the team you just said was the best, though, and then also played against other teams. Yeah, you know, high, who, you know who high they played against? Offense. The Jaguars. So playing against the Jaguars makes your does it really bring it down that much? I think so, especially considering like because the Browns at the time were still healthy. I don't think that overall that their schedule is any better because you talk like they played the Patriots, who there's question marks around, and they played the Panthers, the Jaguars. I mean, the Colts have been inconsistent this year. So, I mean, I think overall, I don't think that it's it's comparable, but I would say that the, um, the Lions have had a tougher schedule than the Texans. All right. Well, you guys really had a very good debate there. And it came down to the last minute. Alex, I, I, I think you just set the – I think you're on a tear. Congratulations. It's got me five in a row. Uh, Tyler, great debate. Uh, this was very difficult. So we'll end it there for tonight. Um, for Ben Cow. My mic off. For Alex Jackson, Tyler Kennett, Jason Taylor, and Ben Cow. I'm Justin Zimmer. Have a good night. Join us next time on Sports Buzz and Sports Night on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network. You've been listening to another sports presentation on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network.